Welcome to the Goal Crazy Podcast. We explore what it takes to reach your crazy goals. I'm your host, Jason Vandeveer, and together we're going to learn to take life to the next level in Goal Crazy. Let's get started. All right. Hello there. Welcome back to the next episode of the Goal Crazy Podcast. This episode I'm excited for. I've got a new friend of mine that I've gotten to meet at some conferences and learn a lot about and experience the type of work that he does, which is incredible. And today I have with me Gianni Nayviller. And uh, Gianni, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Gianni Nayviller, and I am a breathwork facilitator and ice plunge coach specialist. I guide people through um, hour-long breathing sessions. It allows them to get reacquainted with their intuition, with their gut. It also allows them to release pent-up energy, negative energy. You know, we're not encouraged to feel anymore. So years and years of bottling and stuffing these emotions, it finally comes out in many ways. So I help them make the decision to allow it to come out uh, under their control, not, you know, under, under duress or, you know, when life throws stuff at them, they don't know how to handle it. So what I teach them, not just with the breath, but with the ice as well, is how to understand stress and how to respond, training their nervous system, how to understand it and, uh, you know, not let it take them out, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I think uh, really it probably took me a, a while to when I started to experience doing the breath work and the ice plunges. At first, it just sounded like this just seems like crazy stuff, <laughs> right? But when you start to do it, it's like, wow, this is this is real. There are things that I'm I'm holding on to, and there are substantial benefits of doing cold therapy and taking time to, to do breath work. What got you curious to this? How did you? Yeah, how did this fall onto your horizon and put you down this trajectory? It was a very windy road. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. wasn't one straight shot to breath work and ice. It started with, um, you know, uh, the timeline is is a little fuzzy, but it started around uh, late 2017, early 2018. I was uh, I was overweight. I was unhappy in my career. I was uh, partaking a little too much in in drink and and smoke marijuana and alcohol. You know, I've always been a seeker. So this, you could even trace this back to, to the nineties. Really. If, if I was to really dig deep, I could trace this back to my early twenties. I've always been a seeker. I always knew there was more in life than just working in the restaurant business, which is something I was born into, which I hated. I mean, don't get me wrong. Parts of it I loved, but for the most was part, like a family business that you grew up in. Exactly. Yeah, it was a family business. I was born into it. My passion was music, is music rather, I should say. And I was lucky enough to record music, to tour, to play shows and, and, and you know, live out my dream, so to speak. But that wasn't, uh, that wasn't a purpose. At least it didn't, it didn't feel, at the time it felt like it, but now I realize it wasn't a purpose. It was definitely a passion. So even then, Right. Even then, when I was living my, out my dreams, I knew there was more to life. I knew that uh, something was missing. And so fast forward to to late 17, early 18, I really started seeking. I really started searching and looking for that purpose. And uh, as I continued on my sobriety, I realized that 
I needed to be of service in some way. I needed to share, you know, my experiences and what I learned and how I was able to get out of that state of mind and share it. So the winding road began with losing the weight, getting sober. Then um, I got really into uh, podcasts. Ironically, we're on one right now. There we go. Yep. It's good stuff. I got, right? I got really into biohacking and biohacker podcasts. Okay. Um, you know, Luke's what do you mean story. by that term for people who might not be familiar yeah. with the concept of biohacking? Yeah. So um, everyone's familiar with computer hacking, right? Yeah. You know, little tricks, little shortcuts to stuff, or even worse, you know, hacking someone's computer. It's the same thing, only it's the body, you know, biohacking. You're hacking the body. Biohacking can be as simple as taking vitamins, supplements, you know, that could be considered a biohack, superfoods, you know, that kind of stuff. And it could be as elaborate as driving up to the mountains hours away and harvesting, collecting your own spring water to drink for, say, the month or something. Could be, you know, breath work. Breath work is a biohack. Ice plunging is a biohack. The umbrella of biohacking is is massive and it's growing every day. So I got really into them, to, to these bio, these well-known biohackers. I believe the term was coined by Dave Asprey, who is, uh, he started Bulletproof Coffee. Yep, he that. has his own podcast. He started the, the whole movement, I believe. And so I was, I listened to him a lot. I listened to Luke Story. I listened to Sean Stevenson, Aubrey Marcus. I mean, I could go down the list of the podcasters that I was just blown away by the stuff that they were talking about. And I slowly started implementing, you know, little things here and there over the years. And now, you know, I stack a bunch of stuff in my daily routine and it's a life changer. I mean, I, I can't, I can't talk highly enough about all of these little biohacks that I do that I want to share. And that's what brought me into getting certified as a, as a breathwork facilitator. Interesting. So biohacks, they're kind of like a little trick or, I mean, a hack that helps you feel better or experience life more. Is that kind of the, the outcome to feel, feel better, have more energy? Is that kind of the, the goal that they're seeking with the, the different strategies? I mean, feel better is definitely one of them but what comes with feel better healthier you know so you're you're hacking your body into a healthier you whether whether the return is just feeling better great or the return is avoiding some major you know catastrophe in your body great that like i said there are many ways to biohack and there are many benefits to it as well it's, it's not like a straight there's no straight answer for that yeah interesting i think also you touched on uh to go back a little bit Talking about purpose versus passion. I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of differentiation between the two. What do you feel like the, the big difference was for you between purpose versus passion? Well, you know, eventually you want them to kind of dovetail, right? And become, become one. The difference, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear. Uh, passion is something that not necessarily helps someone else. It's fun. It's fulfilling. Having a passion and chasing it, it's fulfilling, but it's a different kind of fulfillment. It's more of a, I don't want to use the word selfish versus selfless, but those two kind of come into play with, you know, passion is selfish, purpose is selfless. And, and again, like there are so many variables there, they kind of dovetail together. To answer your question, what's the difference? 
I would almost say they're the same. The difference is that one has a wider reach, which would be the, the purpose, whereas the passion is more inner rather than outer. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Okay, so you started learning about this biohacking and did you just listen or read about people doing these ice baths and said like, I got to give this a try and filled your bathtub up <laughs> and hopped in? Yeah, kind of. It did start with the bathtub. Uh, it started with a guy named Luke Story. He has a podcast. Have you heard of him? I have not, no. Oh, he's great. Uh, he's a, he, he's, he was an LA, uh, an LA native, or not native, but an LA, uh, he lived here for many years and he was in the music business in the 90s as well. We kind of had, I would see him around town over the years, but I didn't know much about him. And then he was gone out of my life, I guess you could say. Then I, then I was reintroduced to him. His podcast, he would talk about cold plunging. I thought he was saying cold punch when I first heard it. And I, I can't remember, I think he brought up Tony Robbins, how Tony Robbins has a cold punch in his house. And it just intrigued me, something about it, uh, you know, what he was saying about how it made him feel and why he did it. I just, you know, started searching around on the internet, found out I was wrong. It was cold plunge, not punch. Although it does feel like a punch <laughs> when you get in there. Yeah. Uh, and I tried it. I, I tried it in my bathtub. And the first time I did it, it was definitely a punch. And it was definitely uh, intense, but I did feel something afterward. I didn't quite do it right, and I won't get into what I did wrong, but the breathing, really. I mean, in a nutshell, I didn't breathe correctly. The second time I did it, I dunked my head, and I had a panic attack. It, like, sent me into a um, claustrophobic panic attack. Kind of freaked me out. I kind of told myself, never again. I'm not doing this shit again. That's too much. After a few hours, I started to feel actually relieved and my mind started thinking more about why did I have a panic attack? And it brought me to um, uh, something that happened to me years ago, maybe 10 years ago, camping. My wife and I were out at uh, in Joshua Tree and it was a moonless night. It was a super dark night and we borrowed a friend's tent, a two-person tent, which was really low. Our tent is really high and it's a big one. It's like you could stand up in it. Yeah. This particular camping trip, we borrowed a friend's tent and I woke up, you know, maybe half hour into falling asleep in a full on panic attack. And it felt like the roof or the top of the tent was like right at my nose and I couldn't breathe. Um, and I realized it was claustrophobia, which I didn't never, I didn't know I had. I never knew. I never experienced anything like that. And it took me like three hours to get back to sleep. And so Getting in that ice bath, that second ice bath I took when I went underwater, that feeling instantly came back. And hours later, I started realizing, okay, wait, don't tell yourself, don't shut a door, you know, don't, don't just say, no, I'm never going to do that again. Examine why you felt, why did that trigger that? And then it all began, it kind of, that kind of set stuff in motion even faster. I was already on the trajectory of, of trying new things and, and trying to get to the bottom of my angst and my anger and all that, that triggering of that panic attack, claustrophobic attack, whatever you want to call it, inspired me more to go further down this road. And then from there, I bought a horse trough. Actually, I bought this other little tiny tub on, on Amazon. It was too small, used it like five, six times and realized, wait a minute, I got to go all the way and bought myself a huge 100 gallon horse trough and I haven't looked back since. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that uh, 
kind of ties back to, you were talking earlier about how people, they don't want to experience their emotions, right? And it's, uh, yeah, part of it is starting to recognize those emotions that you're hiding or pushing away and letting them come to the surface. Why do you think so many people are just pushing these emotions down and not feeling them? Oh, man, uh, many reasons. I would say the first one that comes to mind is it's familiar, or, the, or rather facing those feelings is unknown. What's on the other side is unknown. And so many people, and I, I was guilty of this, I would have much rather stay in the familiar, despite how much I hated it, right? I would, I would rather stay in my misery than face whatever it is that I need to face because it's familiar, right? So what's familiar, we tend to stay there for fear of the unknown, ultimately, you know? Yeah, that's good. What's the problem about doing that, though? What happens when you just hold on to those emotions? Well, they eventually resurface uh, when they want in ways that we don't want. It could be behavioral, drinking too much, self-medicating. could be uh, chronic pain, anger, depression, illness. Do you feel like like for you, so kind of what started this path for you was you were working to lose weight, right? Did you find that like the, the journey of understanding your emotions more, was that connected to losing weight? Well... Yeah, so the the weight loss part was not connected to the biohacking. Once I had lost, once I reached my goal weight, I knew there was more, right? I knew that, okay, I've lost the weight. Here I am. There's more that my body needs than just weight loss. I need to get, you know, metabolically healthy. I need to get in shape, which I'm not in shape right now, sadly. I think you'll look good, Gianni. Oh, thanks, thanks. <laughs> um, I've gained some of the weight back since I reached my goal weight, but it's okay. I know how to lose it again, and I, I'm nowhere near where I was when I started. But it started with the weight loss. It, di- it wasn't the other way around. Although I'm sure, you know, all of the stuff that I was doing biohack-wise, biohackically, if that's a word, <laughs> uh, you know, helped me keep the weight off for the most part or not gain all of it back. But yeah, it was the other way around. So it's hard to say. I think once I lost the weight, once I was really into, you know, implementing a lot of the hacks that I learned, I think they kind of just kind of became one that if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think it's like, once you start to create that habit of asking yourself why, both like with how you were doing with the ice bath, of okay, why did I start to panic? But it also can be similar with your actions that you take. Like, why did I decide to do that? Right. And you start to explore that it's eye opening. And it's if you don't ask that question, why you're just reactive to doing things the same way you've done them in the past, because, yeah, you're just you're just in the in the hamster wheel of doing it again and again. You know what I mean? I do. And it's interesting that you mentioned the why and the hamster wheel. I think the why is great, but we don't want to get caught up in the why because it's kind of a circular question. So it's great to ask the why, but you need to switch it to the what and the how fairly quickly because you can get stuck in the why, you know, the why me, why did this and why, why, you know what I mean? So why is great if you use it to identify the why, but then you need to get to the what, because I was stuck in the why for many years. Yeah. Give me an example of that. So, okay. So uh, even with, you know, feeling the claustrophobic, it was like, you asked yourself why, and then did you trace that back to the the what, which was the experience you had in the tent. Is that kind of it? Like, what was that emotion? Or how does that, uh, yeah, connecting the why to the what to the how? What's that look like? Well, honestly, I don't know why. 
I uh, got claustrophobic that night or, or I, like I said, I never experienced claustrophobia before. Yeah. I, I do know my father had it. I know he couldn't do elevators. I never, that, that was never a problem for me. And wow, to answer your question, how do you connect the why to the, to the what, to the how? Let's start with the why and yeah. why it couldn't be detrimental to just stay there. Because if you ask why me, you don't get an answer on what to do next. It just kind of leads back to why me? It's kind of like this endless feedback loop of negative. You're, you're never going to get out of it if you stay on that why carousel. So your question was, how did one lead to the other? I guess action, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the why is up here and the what and the how is down here. For those who can't see, this is a podcast. I'm pointing to my head on the why and the what and the how are in the body. So, you know, in order to, to change things, uh, let's see, there's a great saying, I think it goes something like, right thinking comes from right acting. Uh, right acting doesn't come from right thinking. You can't reason your way out of a problem or think your way out of a problem. You have to act your way out of a problem. So yeah. the why can be a problem if all you're doing is asking why. Yeah, because you'll just keep spiraling. Hmm. It's got to turn into, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to act? It's like our brain is kind of like a GPS system, right? We have to plug in our destination, but the the system needs to know where it is first in order to get you to where you want to go. And it's almost like that why question is blocking the where you are now. That makes sense. Can you visualize what I just said? Because I'm having a hard time myself. But I think think you you get what I'm saying and your listeners might get what I'm saying. You need to know where we are in order to get to where we're going. Yeah. And it's like that why question exposes that first like, okay, why am I feeling this way? It helps me understand like what's going on internally or what needs my attention, right? But uh, yeah, it exposes, I like what you said, where you are then and then you can kind of contrast that with where you want to go. Yeah, because if you stick in the why, you're you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to be just always, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're a volunteer at this point. You're no longer a victim of whatever it is that happened. You've just decided to stay in that victimhood. And that could be a very controversial subject. And I know that could set some people off what I just said, but think about it, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's kind of similar. And not to minimize or mitigate or, or when someone's a victim of something, they are a victim of that thing in that moment, what do they do with it afterwards? Do they stay in that victimhood or do they make that change? If they don't and they're continuously looking for sympathy, then they're they're volunteers at this point. They find more things to be victims of. And there's an endless list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's good. Okay, so the ice baths, uh, let's, go, let's go back to the ice baths. So uh, what's going on like even on a biological level, when you're getting into that ice bath? And why is that good for your body? How does that help you mentally, physically? You know, what's going on? Well, let's start with the physical. The physical, I think everyone agrees and knows that, uh, you know, it helps with inflammation, inflammation all over the body. Something a little less known, it helps with circulation. It helps your your blood circulate more efficiently. It helps, you know, you something what uh, it's called uh, vasoconstriction happens when you get in, in that water. All your blood leaves your extremities, goes to your vital organs to keep you alive, basically. You know, our intelligent 
body knows how to keep itself alive and it's going to lose a finger before it loses the whole machine. So vasoconstriction happens, all the blood goes to your vital organs. And when you get out, vasodilation, it all flows back and flowing back more, you know, efficiently. It's maybe picked up some vital nutrients while it was in those organs. You get that euphoric feeling. Euphoria always follows dysphoria. So when you're in that water, it's dysphoria. You feel like, you know, you go straight into fight or flight, into panic mode. So that would be the physical. And there's other physical benefits. It activates brown adipose fat or fatty tissue, which helps us lose weight because it burns at a metabolic rate. I don't know. That's a little scientific for me. I, I, I should know this part, but I'm, I'm now, not just me, I think they are discovering more benefits with ice baths and adipose, brown adipose fat and weight loss. On a nervous system level, you're training your nervous system how to understand stress when it comes at you. Life is going to continually throw shit at us, right? Getting in that ice bath is teaching you to turn it into fertilizer and to grow. When you're, say, let's, uh, example, let's say I'm in LA, so I'll say earthquake. You're in a building and all of a sudden it starts shaking and people in the building start panicking and running in all different directions because once that cortisol spike hits, all reasoning goes out the door. When you're in that state, you can't make a sound decision. So if you train your body regularly, by doing stuff like an ice bath, when that day, if and when that day comes, you're not one of the people running around like a chicken who's had a, its head cut off. You're able to assess the situation, take a breath, create that space between the stimulus and your response, and make a sound decision. Perhaps save some people's lives while you're at it, including your own. So you're essentially, you're, you're activating the fight or flight when you get in that water, but under your control, you know, you've decided I'm going to do this and you get in there and your body at first reacts the way you would normally think, you know, <laughs> and I guide people, slow it down, maybe take it in steps, breathe the way you're breathing right now, do what you need to do, scream, yell, cry, whatever it takes, but you need to shift that into slow inhale, exhale through the nose. So I like to tell people, don't use willpower or mind over matter to do the three minutes in the ice. You could use that the first 10, 15, 20 seconds, but you need to find a way to switch willpower to surrender, to acceptance, right? To embrace. And that's when you're teaching, your, that's when you know you've taught or you're on your way to learning how to understand stress and how to respond to it rather than react. Now, you could use your willpower and fight the whole way, the whole three minutes. Guess what? You just finished three minutes. Great. You did it. But what did you learn? What did you teach your nervous system? Nothing. Not a thing. Yeah. And I feel like if, as I've done them, I mean, uh, the building shaking during an earthquake is a pretty stressful, you know, environment. But uh, it's like most of the time you're not actually in stressful environments like that. So things that would in the past stress me out, right? It's like I've gotten so much better at handling stress so that Otherwise, like we can dig to our entire life's living stress because we have emails in our inbox, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if I'm constantly in that feeling of stress and, you know, those hormones are getting in the way of me making accurate decisions, well, that's just not a good recipe for life, right? So it's like when I can, one, be perform better in actually stressful situations, but realize that typically I'm not stressed. I shouldn't be stressed out. 
and kind of letting that go, well, then I just am better at making decisions, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up uh, because I went to the extreme. I went to earthquake, but you were right. You were right. This low level, you know, fight or flight or freeze is in everyone's lives today in the modern world. And I mean, you know, these things, I'm, I'm picking up my phone, showing it to the camera. These things keep us in that state all the time. Like you said, that email, that inbox, that that deadline, say, you know, if you're in the corporate world, that audition coming up, there's there's so many, you know, different walks of life that have these little tiny stressors that are just stacked one on top of the other. Tur- turning on the news, right? Just turning on your TV or even opening up your, your you know, your Instagram and seeing either a stranger or a friend who l- appears to be living the life of their dreams. And that can stress some people out too. So our, our brain is geared to go to the negative. It's geared. Like we've we've evolved to think that around the corner is, you know, a bear waiting to attack us. It's not. It's not. But our nervous system is always on the alert and ready, ready for it. So it's important to do things like an ice bath, to do a breath work session, even yoga, even going to the gym, even weightlifting, all of that. That's you're stressing your system intentionally. So when you get that email in your inbox that your boss is hounding you to get that deadline, you know, out, you're able to respond instead of react. You, you, you've got that space in between. You could take a breath. Okay. What do I need to do? Do what's in front of you. Don't overthink it. Don't, you know, we tend to, we tend to look at the, the whole thing sometimes and, and miss what is the next indicated step in order to get to, you know, either hitting that deadline or whatever, you know, whatever life's little stressors you have, you're able to handle them with grace. Yeah. Yeah. You can be, uh, yeah, have more clarity, have more inner peace. And ultimately you're enjoying your life more, but like you said earlier, you make better decisions. It's, uh, I feel like I had a couple years of my life, especially as I started as, as a business owner, it was like, I was constantly just reacting to, I would check my sales for that day. And if they were down, I'd go like completely like tinker with all of my ads, launch new campaigns, this. And it's like, ultimately by changing those things every single day, I was making things way worse, right? But it's like that fear sets in and you just out of habit, I'll just fully respond to it. And it's, until I could, yeah, learn to recognize it or detach myself from it. I was just stuck, you know? And yeah. it's, yeah, it's powerful. Fear-based decision-making. Yeah. It has yeah. no place. It has no, I mean, you know, maybe it has a place when that bear is charging and you mm-hmm. do need to fight or flight or, you know, climb that tree or whatever you need to do to survive. But that's another thing is our, our nervous system, fight or flight does have a beginning and an end. Our ancestors, whatever they experienced that was dangerous, when the threat was over, it was over. They didn't retain it. Again, we, with all of these tiny little stressors, it never ends. We're just in constant fight or flight all the time. It's funny, I heard a fourth one, a fight, flight, freeze, and I heard the fourth one is appease. Hmm. What What do you mean by that, appease? Well, let's see. Think of a situation like, let's say you're... uh, you're in an abusive relationship and your spouse is constantly doing something abusive and you, your response to it is to just appease them. Let them, let them win, let them have their way. I would rather not, you know, and what happens when we do that? We, we stuff and we bottle up those emotions until one day they come out in all those various ways I mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So by also doing this, do you feel like kind of releasing those emotions that you bottle up? Do you feel like that's connected more so to the ice fast? Or is that more the breath work that helps people bring those emotions to the surface and process through them? I couldn't say one is more than the other. I believe they both have their place, especially when you combine the two, one right after the other. The ice is more physical, uh, where the breath is more internal. It takes a little longer to get there. It's physical as well, because you're breathing. There's It's movement. But I wouldn't place one more important than the other. And also, it depends on the person. Some people respond more to the breath work and vice versa. And sometimes that same person on a different day has uh, the opposite response where, you know, they'll respond more to the ice that day than they do. That's why I do. That's why I have uh, the eight-week program where... All of that occurs within those eight weeks. And they, they, everyone says the same thing. It's like, it's, all, it's never the same. Every session is different. Yeah, that's really good. Because uh, so the, with the breath work, what's going on maybe physically or even mentally as you're doing that, that makes it so beneficial for people? Physically, from what I understand, what's happening is you are, because we're breathing through the mouth, which is the way we breathe when we are in fight or flight. Essentially, what we're doing is we are minimizing, lessening the amount of oxygen that's going to our prefrontal cortex, which, for those who don't know, is pretty much what makes us human, but what makes us what you know responsible for all the stuff that makes us human, making plans, making you know big decisions, loving, judging, hating, you know all the stuff that that makes us human. And it develops as we get older. Children have a much smaller prefrontal cortex. Now, conversely, we we all have the amygdala, the lizard brain or the limbic system that's, you know, towards the back of our head. It's the oldest, most evolved part of our brain. That's responsible for our emotions or rather for it's not responsible for emotions. Our, our, our prefrontal cortex is where we're, we're, we're like, you know, don't let them see you sweat. Don't let them, you know, don't show your emotions. That's all happening up here. Back there, it doesn't care. So, all of the oxygen, when we're mouth breathing, all of the oxygen goes to the to the amygdala, to the lizard brain, and turns off the prefrontal. So that's why you see people releasing and crying and, and just letting their emotions go because they've kind of switched off that, that filter that, they, that gets in the way. Does that make any sense? Yeah, kind of like, so the, the frontal cortex, it's going to say like, you know, don't let anybody see me cry or... Uh... Yeah, don't let them notice that I'm afraid or angry right now. So when you can turn that off, it, it just frees that because you're no longer, you don't have that judgment hiding. Yeah, hiding it. All inhibitions go out the door and you're able to just show your true self and allow those feelings to come up. It's kind of like the prefrontal cortex is the cork. You know, it's kind of, you're, you're lifting off the cork and letting all of that bottled up shit out. Yeah. That's good. And for people who have maybe never done any sort of breath work, you know, uh, kind of what does that look like doing breath work? You're just to explain it. Sure. There are many different methods. I would say in order to kind of describe it in a way that encompasses most of the methods, to put it simply, you're breathing in and out through your mouth very actively without pausing on the inhale and the exhale. So as soon as you get to 100% inhale, don't linger, just let it out. And as soon as it lands at about 80%, bring it in. And you just keep breathing, almost like you're hyperventilating, you know, just under a hyperventilation. You're doing that for a number of minutes. Again, it depends on who's the facilitator and what method they use, but generally it's 
a good, you know, maybe 10, in some cases, 20, 30 minutes of doing that. My method, I incorporate some Wim Hof where you exhale and you hold no breathing without any air in your lungs. I do that three times. Then I have them inhale and I incorporate some Joe Dispenza where I have them squeeze. You did it, so you know what I'm talking about. I have them squeeze every muscle, tighten their pelvic floor, essentially pushing up spinal, cranial spinal fluid up, up the spine into the pineal gland, releasing natural DMT, dimethyltryptamine. And there's a lot of controversy around this and a lot, maybe not controversy, a lot of doubt. Some people think that it's all bullshit, but I tell them, try it and you tell me what you feel and, and then tell me if it's bull. And what was your question? So that's what it looks like. So we're doing that for, for a number of minutes followed by that first breath hold, and then we start over, do it again, and then another breath hold, and then we do it again, and then our final breath hold, and then we're done. Uh, essentially, it's hyperventilating, breathing through the mouth most of the time, and um, getting out of your head. When you breathe in this way, you're able to let go of that mind chatter, that monkey mind, and you're able to get into the body. Now, not everybody succeeds. Some people are really stuck in their heads, and they're just constantly either judging it like this is this is silly i already know how to breathe or judging themselves i can't do this right this doesn't feel right i'm not breathing deep enough and i did leave out breathing into the diaphragm breathing down deep into the belly diaphragmatic breathing that's where we hold most of our emotion and that's also where the majority of our lungs are and where we absorb the majority of the oxygen we're inhaling these little pockets called the alveoli they're down there so when people say breathe into the belly Obviously, you're not breathing into your belly. You're just breathing into the lower part of your lungs. Yeah, and I think kind of like you talked about, uh, I feel like it was until I committed to say, I'm going to start doing this every day that I could really get past. I think, well, the first time I did it was at uh, that first event where I met you when Joshua Church let us through it. And I'm like, sure, did a great job. But I think I was, I kind of had these expectations on it. You know, people tell you like, oh, this is going to like blow your mind. You're going to experience this or that. And it's kind of like the whole time I'm like thinking about like, you know, when am I going to just have this out of my body experience or I don't some mystical experience. Right. And then it's like, because I was holding on to that, I couldn't just surrender to it. You, you know, were, you were in your head. Yeah. So then after that, when I got my ice bath, I started to couple the two together. I would do an ice bath and breath work every morning, uh, just like a short 20 minute Wim Hof one I'd find on YouTube. And I feel like that was when I really started to just, yeah, both of those combined, I could really see the fruits of it. And then I feel like that was helpful for when I did my session with you. Not that, you know, you have to pre-frame it all in that way, because I know you lead people through there. But um, it's kind of like I could just surrender to it. You know, I like had a general idea of what may or may not happen, but I wasn't getting in my own way with it. And it was, it was really powerful. Yeah. And then obviously your sessions when you have a personal person guiding you through it are way more than what you're going to find on a 20 minute YouTube video. Yeah. And I would say to that, everyone's different. And every day, everyone is different than they were the day before. So that first time you were in your head, obviously. If you were to ask me, that's what I think happened. It has nothing oh, yeah. to do with Joshua or the facilitator. Right. It has to do yeah. with where you were at that time, expectations. I always tell people, you know, remove all expectations. Just come with an open heart, an open mind. So it could have been where you were that day, where your mind was at that day. But you did it, and your body retained it, recognized it when you did it the next time. So your body was like, oh, I, I know what this is. So it responded much quicker than it did the first time. And again, everyone's different. I have some people that it takes them several sessions to finally kind of get in the flow. And some people hit it, hit the ground running right away. 
same people have opposite, you know, some days they'll come and they're like, you know, today I just couldn't get out of my head. So it really, it's, it's, it really depends what's going on at that time in your life on that day. Hell, that minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, even when I did it every day, some days it's like, it was incredible. Same with an ice bath. You know, some days it's like, this is just so great. Like I enjoy my full three minutes. It's like, yeah, I feel like I just feel this like sweat or tension just melting off of me. And then there's other days where it's like, you know, that timer just seems to be moving so slow. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's like, gosh, this is the craziest idea I've ever had. Why am I doing this every day? But uh, yeah, it's all in all, though, it's, it's been really powerful. And it's important not to beat yourself up on the days that you didn't get the result you were looking for. It's, you know, that's a lesson in and of itself. Everything that happens is happening the way it's supposed to. Yeah. So if you get uh, in that ice bath one day and you don't get the results you want, it's okay. It's all good. Yeah. What do you think, what type of people do you think can really benefit from this? Like lots of the people that you work with, are these people who like have emotional traumas they're trying to process through? Are these people who just deal with lots of stress and overwhelm? Yeah. What type of people do you feel like can benefit the most from these types of strategies? Every single one of them. Seriously, everyone. You could be the most even-keeled Zen guru master Ditch Nan Han, and you could still get benefit from this. It's for everyone. It's it's for everyone. Yeah, it's um powerful. I feel like a lot of times when I tell people this stuff, I do like, oh, you wouldn't, you don't come across like you have stress, and it's uh it's still just really powerful for me. Or even when you know month ago or when that was, I tried doing that first session with you. It was like. At that point, I'd already been doing breath work every day for a while. I'd been doing ice plunges and it's like reasonably far down the self-help rabbit hole, <laughs> if you want to say, with some of the different things I've tried. And it was like something completely new that uh, it's just a deeper layer that you can get down and see what's going on in, in your body, in your mind. Yeah, things you're holding on to. And it's, it was really powerful. So yeah, we're thank like, you. We're like onions, man. Yeah, it is. You think you figure it out, <laughs> you peel back a layer, it's freeing, you experience it, but uh, it's just deeper and deeper. And those layers, even once you peel a bunch, many do grow back. <laughs> so it's like never ending. It's, you know, it's a daily, it's a daily reprieve, as they say. Yeah, I feel like I've, uh, you know, as you like uh, get rid of maybe some limiting belief or maybe something you identified with in the past that you shouldn't have. It's like you pull those off and then like, you know, it just I, without even noticing, I start to form these like new identities, right? Like, oh, I wasn't that, right? That was the old Jason, but now I'm this, right? But like eventually, then you get stuck in that new container that you made for yourself. And it's just like, yeah, you just got to keep peeling it back. Yep, that's right. It's never ending. And, and that's okay too. Like as soon as we accept that, it makes it a lot easier to do the work the next day. And hell, some days you don't want to do the work and that's okay too. You could just, you know, relax and chill. Just got to be careful not to get in a rut again and not, uh, you know, become a victim, a victim of your own thoughts. Yeah. So uh, what do you feel like are some of the best ways for people to connect with you, learn about what you're doing, and also just like next steps you'd recommend for people who are curious about this stuff? Well, the best way to get a hold of me is either through uh, my Instagram, Respiro Space, R-E-S-P-I-R-O-S-P-A-C-E. No symbols in between the words, just one word. Uh, it means breathing space in Italian and English. It's a combination. I have a Facebook page either under my name, which is my personal Facebook, 
or a Respiro Space Facebook, but I don't really use it much. I should. I, should, I have them all. I have a Twitter. I have a LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I even have a TikTok, but I don't. I really don't do much on those. Um, most of it is on Instagram. So I would say DM me through Instagram. You could also uh, email Gianni at respirospace.com. You can go to my website, my website, respirospace.com. Yeah, those are the best ways to reach to reach me. And please follow that Instagram account, leave comments, share my content, tell all your friends. I do this work virtually as well as in person. I prefer in person, but you know, the benefits are the same. It's just the delivery is different. Obviously, the ice bath part can be a little challenging online, but it can be done. Everything is figure outable. And what was the second part? What was that? Oh, yeah, was some things yeah, somebody next, can do. Like next steps. Yeah. The next steps someone can do. Uh, you know, I could drop a dozen things someone can do. I would say start with start with your day. Start with waking up. Maybe take five minutes before your feet hit the ground. Do some deep breathing exercises. Find the ones that resonate with you. You can go on YouTube and do Wim Hof. You can go on, uh, if you have one of those meditation apps, Insight Timer is my favorite. They're, they have a dozen uh, or more breathwork, five, 10-minute little breathwork exercises. Be on the lookout. I'm going to be recording my own, and I'll be on Insight Timer soon. And just really, you know, be conscious of every breath. And I know that sounds daunting, like, what? You want me to be conscious of every breath? Believe it or not, once you get in the swing of, of this, I'm conscious of every breath I take now. And obviously not like pinpoint conscious, like I'm thinking about every breath, but I can tell when some external thing stimulates me negatively or positively how my breathing changes and how I catch it and change it. So that's what I mean when I say be conscious of your every breath. And you know what? I would say another, I would, I would give one piece of advice that has two parts. Try to breathe through your nose only. And throughout the day or like when you're doing those five minutes? Throughout the day. Use your mouth to speak and to eat. The nose is meant for breathing. And I could get into the reasons why that's best, but I don't know if we have time. Pick up the book Breath by James Nestor, and he'll explain why. But try to breathe in and out through the nose, slow and deep, and try not to engage any muscles while you're doing it. And part two of that is tape your mouth at night. Put tape on your mouth when you're in bed asleep. I'm not into oh. S&M or anything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, Johnny, I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing this. I'll put all of those also in the show notes. If you didn't catch them, you know, check them out there and think of anybody else, you know, on top of this, who can benefit from this episode, be sure to share this episode with them. I think lots of us, whether we are conscious of it or not, we all have stress that we're carrying around with us. And it's learning how to identify it and finding healthy, positive ways to process through it. You know, even more than just stress, other emotions that we are carrying around with us. So, Johnny, I really appreciate you coming on here. And uh, I encourage everybody to follow him and send him a message. He'll give you really good feedback of some good places to start and, and lead you on this journey. Thank you, brother. Uh, that, was, uh, that was great. I enjoyed my time with you. Awesome.